on today's Power of the Towel. We talked about the week that was with the Vancouver Canucks. They went 2-1. and one. Lost against the Jets, but bounced back with two wins against the Phoenix Coyotes and the San Jose Sharks. Yes, I did call them the Phoenix Coyotes. They will always be the Phoenix Coyotes to me. The Canucks have won 11 of their last 14 games and are still only a point up for the division lead. Wild. We also talk about Jake Rutanen and Brock Besser. Is Jake Rutanen's stock going up and is Brock Besser's stock going down perhaps? We end the show with our usual segments, but our guest this week, the one and only boy genius, Harmon Dial. Should be a good one. All right, welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel. I'm your host. Nick Bondi. Make sure, before you listen to any more of this, make sure to subscribe to the Nux Misconduct Network. Not only do you get this show, you get Sip It On a 40, a recap after every Vancouver Canucks game, hosted by the one and only Kyle Bowen. You get Silky and Filthy, Puck Talk and Bullshit, hosted by Kyle Bowen and Trevor Beggs. And you get the Quickie, Daily Short Hockey podcast for everyone that's trevor's back in town he's he's enjoyed his trip to australia but he's ready to get back to work i'm sure i have not talked to him but you can vouch for me where i said he's he's ready to get back to it now this past week for the vancouver canucks was all in all i think a fairly solid week they had that tough loss against the winnipeg jets for nothing uh to start the week and to be honest i didn't really watch much of it we were we had chris faber in that day, so it was pretty tough to watch the entire game. I did watch the highlights. Look, the Canucks, ironically enough, were a victim of what they've been doing to a lot of teams where their goalie gets hot and you, you weren't able to do anything about it. The Canucks had their chances. You know, I look back at that JT Miller breakaway when it was one nothing. You score that, it's 1-1, except in, instead they go down and they score and it's 2 nothing instead of a 1-1 game. That's a... It's a pretty big swing when you're facing a goal like Connor Hellbuck. It was a tough loss against the Jets, but the Canucks managed to bounce back from that loss against the Jets. And that's big because if you want to be a consistent playoff team, you can't let these, you know, losing streaks linger to, you know, four or five games. You got you to gotta bounce back right away. They beat the Phoenix Coyotes. Yes, I still call them the Phoenix Coyotes. At home, 3-1 to one, in the biggest game ever against that franchise. Look, the Canucks have never played a fr- uh, playoff series against them. They've obviously sucked the last few years, so there hasn't been any big games in terms of standings. Most of the time, most fans wanted them to lose so they get a better draft pick. So this is probably the biggest game ever against the Phoenix slash Arizona Coyotes, and they managed to pull off a 3-1 win. It was a, a classic Canucks game that we've seen so far this season, and what seems to be their calling card is they're opportunistic in their offense, and they let... Jacob Markstrom shut the door. Phoenix only had one goal, and they probably should have had a few more, but and Jacob Markstrom is probably this team's MVP this year, no doubt. Actually, yeah, no doubt. He is. I think he's pretty obviously the team's MVP. They would not be where they are in the standings without him. They then followed that up with a 4-1 victory against the San Jose Sharks, who are 11 points out of a playoff spot, which is wild. 
you always think of San Jose as just one of those teams out in the West who are consistently a, a playoff team. And their season's like halfway through the season. I don't think that 11 points seems too big of a mountain for them to climb at this point. This isn't a Sharks podcast, but you got to wonder what their future is there. They got, you know, a fairly older team. They just signed Eric Carlson to like a huge deal. What are they going to do with that? I'm sure they'll keep him, but I'm not too sure what what the future holds for the San Jose Sharks. They have a lot of big guys on, you know, long-term deals. Where do you move? Do you move a guy like Brett Burns? Who's taking that contract? How do you, do you even want to move a guy like that? Anyways, tough, tough situation for the Sharks, but a good win for the Vancouver Canucks, all things considered. And just looking at the, speaking of standings, just look at the standings. The Canucks have won like 11 of their last 14 games. Still only a point above everyone else in the Pacific Division. These standings are just absolutely wild this year, especially in the Pacific Division. It's, it's wild, like just how tight the Pacific Division is this year. The Canucks are on 58 points. There's like four or five other teams on 57. Like it's coming, it's... And what I like about it is whichever... Like the Canucks, yeah, they're a point above Edmonton, Calgary, Vegas, Arizona. And also could could easily, if they go on a two, three-game losing streak, be out of the playoffs. And I'm sure everyone predicted the Vancouver Canucks to win the Pacific Division at the start of the season. I know I did. I thought it would be Vegas for sure. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem like Vegas isn't getting that good goaltending. Like, I'm sure, I'm from what I've read, their an, analytics are very good, but just not getting saves. And that's tough to overcome in the NHL. So the way, as I've said before, on a podcast, on Sipping on a 40, I believe, the way the standings are this year, both the, you know, the Benning Bros and the Bitter Bros both have something to claim the rest of the season. You can easily say, if you're an optimistic person, Canucks are top of the division. But you can also say, well, they're also like two points out of out of a playoff spot. Like this, this, so this ar- argument whether you know the Canucks are good, bad, on the right track, it's it's never going to end the rest of the season just because of the standings. So you might as well just pick a side, and and ride it out. Because you have ammo either way. Which I kind of, from a chaos theory, just love about this season. Is just how the Canucks have won, like I said, have won 11 of the last 14 games. And are still only one point above for the division lead. Also two points out of the playoffs. A big surprise over this, you know, recent stretch of the play of Jake Rattani. got bumped up to the first line with JT Miller and Elias Patterson. And he's looked good. I think a lot of players, honestly, would look good with Elias Patterson and JT Miller. Like Jake Vertanen, like, now there's discussion about, you know, signing him to a big deal, whatnot. Do you trade him or do you sign him? I think there's I think there's merit to trading him. His value may never be as high as it is now. But at the same time, if he does the classic power forward thing where he, you know, finally starts to quote-unquote get it, at 24-25, then it might be wise to keep him. We in Vancouver know exactly how that worked with Todd Bertuzzi. Todd Bertuzzi, kind of happened, the same thing kind of happened to him. A team in the in the New York Islanders uh, gave up on him, and it was to the Canucks' benefit. Because he ended up being, you know, 
one of the best players of that West Coast Express era, 50 goal score, or close to 50 goal score. Let me just pull up his numbers. 46 goals. Hey, pretty pretty much a 50 goal season. And he didn't, you know, it wasn't until sort of that 01 season where he started finally becoming maybe 2000 season where he started really, you know, to finally become the power forward. Yeah, when he was when he was 25. So personally, I would keep Jake Vertanen. If stuck with him through the bad years, you might as well, you know, sign him to a two, three more de- year deal. Try and get a few more years out of him once he's since he's finally figured it out, apparently. But man, you could probably get a pretty good haul for Jake Rattan or package him with, you know, a prospect to get, you know, a different piece. It's a tough decision. I personally would keep him just because I think, you know, Jake Rattan's never played in the playoff series. What's he like in the playoffs? Power forwards are usually pretty valuable come playoff time. Now, Jake Vertanen's stock is going up. Is Brock Besser's stock going down? I personally don't think so, but he's been playing on the third line. You know, Jake Vertanen and Brock Besser have moved around. But I would, like, I would honestly, I, like, I, I, get, I get all the hype around Louis Erickson. It's fun to, you know, it, it's fun to have him on second line actually, you know, doing something. Even if it is, you know, poaching for empty nets. But I would why not just move Brock Besser to that second line with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson? And I know maybe you're not getting the most out of Louie on a third line. But man, I think we saw in that rookie season of Brock Besser, he was playing with Bo Horvat. And he we were all amazed by him. We were all, you know, man, this guy he got nominated for the Calder. He's still on a, you know, close to point-per-game pace. He has 16 goals. He's having a good year. I just think that for a guy like Brock Besser, you're wasting him on the third line. Put him on the second line with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson. And I think you I think you got a good second line there. And I know that leaves, you know, Louis Erickson maybe out of a spot where he's comfortable. But, man, you can't have Brock Besser on, the, on your third line, even if he is still playing power play. Get him off there. Put him on the second line. Our next guest, you probably know him as the boy genius. It's Harmon Dial of The Athletic. So, we now welcome on, you may know him as the boy genius. It's Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Harmon, how's it going? Pretty good, Nick. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Now, when was the last time you took math and what grade did you get? The last time I took math was in, it was pre-cut 12. And so we basically, like in high school, I was just kind of a part of a cohort of like 30 student, students um, where sort of that program, we kind of did, you know, separate field trips, not mm-hmm. math related. Um, and as part of that, we had a couple of accelerated courses as well. So I actually ended up doing pre-cut 12 uh, in grade 11. Yeah. Not, and a, big, not a big think, deal. It, I, it really isn't. It's not because all we did was we skipped grade eight math in, uh, in, in grade eight. And uh, so it's not as if, you know, we were, we were anything special in high school. We just ended up doing, um, doing math a, a year ahead. And uh, yeah, I think I got an, an A in that course. So uh, glad, I didn't, uh, glad I didn't have to do it in, in grade 12. Yeah, like I, my, my last time I did, I did math was I got a C minus in math 11. So I see, I see where the boy genius at, you know, moniker is coming from. Now, 
we have Kyle Bow in the studio. He's hard at work, but he's not big into analytics. What would you say to Kyle to convince him to get on the analytics bandwagon? Well, that's uh, uh, that's really a tough question. I think uh, I think the biggest thing is just any time you're making, and and it sort of depends because if you're looking at the perspective of just a fan and like numbers can numbers and analytics can be boring like i totally get it and for for every for for the fans that are out there no one no one has to be a big believer in the numbers side of things but if you're talking about trying to evaluate players and 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 on a greater level teams the biggest thing that you can look at analytics for is the fact that it introduces some level of objective evidence to sort of back up whatever you see happening on the ice. So it's always going to be a combination of the eye test and the analytics. But you look, for instance, like last year, um, and, and it doesn't obviously play out like this every single year, but every single team that went to the conference finals was top 10 in the league and in five on five shot attempt differential, right? Mm-hmm. So you can see in, in, in a game that's as chaotic as, as hockey can be. I mean, you're talking about, 10 players on the ice, essentially with razor knives on their strapped to their feet with, you know, on, on frozen water. Yeah, that, that, just that, that, that searching sounds like for ice. like this rubber disc. I mean, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be tough to predict. But the one thing that analytics can help do is provide that context where you can, you can establish underlying trends. So for instance, you look, um, you look at a team like the Carolina Hurricanes last year. Around Christmas time, they they were well out of a playoff spot, but they had really really good underlying numbers. And and, and the people that paid paid attention to that in in Carolina and Raleigh mm-hmm. were saying, hey, this team's actually doing a pretty good job. They're controlling shots. They're controlling scoring chances. This is a team that should be able to turn turn it around. And again, it's not analytics are, and I always try and stress this: it's not the be all end all by any stretch of the imagination. But it really does help um, in in sort of adding an objective, um, adding objective evidence to to your evaluation. So process sorry. So wasn't the storm surge that turned it around? It was no, oh. no. I'm sure the storm surge uh, helped in uh, in bringing more fans into, into the building. But um, really, it's um, it's just about trying to refine your your evaluation process because a lot of times what people forget is there are so many biases that we just as a human species are inherently exposed to, right? You look at, um, you, you, you look at recency bias, you look at, I mean, there's just so many, so many cognitive biases where it can sort of skew your opinion of a player or, or, or of a team. And so when you, when you try and combine what you see happening on the ice with, again, some objective insights, it can, it can really help inform, uh, your, your, your assessment of, uh, uh, of hockey. Mm. So let's, uh, let's talk a bit about how you got started kind of writing about hockey. First of all, like what made you decide to try and pursue this as passionately as you did and try, you know, try and make it like your full-time career. Yeah, I think, um, I think the biggest thing was just, I, I always had, uh, opinions and, and sort of takes as, um, as a kid growing up watching a lot of hockey and, I sort of just wanted a platform to be able to express and share them and sort of just, I, I have these opinions that I wanted to get off my chest. And 
Um, a lot of them happened to be about the Canucks. And so I think it was in 2013 or 2014, I simply started a Twitter account. And, um, and that was sort of an avenue for me just to talk Canucks. And from there, it kind of developed in my senior year of high school. I, I thought, why don't I expand this and, and start writing about it? Um, and, and start writing about the team. And, uh, and that's just kind of how I started. I, I began blogging. Um, started to get, um, started to make myself familiar with analytics, started working on learning systems of hockey and, and figuring out how to best watch a game and, and figure out sort of like the little details that, um, that an untrained eye might not be familiar with. So just small structural things like breakouts, four checks, um, tactics, special teams, and just getting myself uh, fully immersed um, in hockey sort of as as an analyst and and that's kind of how uh, I began and uh, I was fortunate enough that a lot of uh, a lot of the, the work that I put out there people seem to really enjoy and um, really glad to have had people uh, along the way sort of go out of their way to to amplify my voice and and that's kind of how I uh, got here. So it sounds like you took like a very analytical approach to like covering hockey. Like you wanted to find out about the systems and like coverage and, and all that. Where as you know, someone like me, I just want to like write about hockey. I wasn't, I'm still not really like too familiar with systems, but you sound like I can see, like, again, I can see where the boy genius, you know, moniker came from. You took a very analytical approach as to how you wanted to cover hockey. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me was, I wanted to be an analyst. I was really curious into the how and why. Um, and, and, and the biggest thing was just, I don't know, like even before I got into analytic, analytics, I would watch games and just sort of notice small, small, small things and sort of I would have my opinions on, hey, maybe this guy's underrated or this guy seems a little bit overrated um, just as far as market perception. But I never really knew, like, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, for, for defensemen, I found it irritating that pretty much the only uh, evaluation tool was points. What, wait, what's wrong right? with points? It, well, the, well, the thing with, I mean, you, you can't use, only use points to evaluate defensemen is my point. Um, like, you look at Chris Tanev or, or virtually any other defensive defenseman in the league, putting up a lot of points isn't, necessarily uh, a sign that you're a, a great defenseman and so for me like and, and that's kind of my first I remember one of my first articles being uh, one where I looked into a lot of Chris Tanev's shot metrics and I, I it was sort of like a light bulb moment where I found that hey you know I'm watching these games I can tell just by watching that that Tanev seems to be a really good defenseman yeah, but his yeah. point totals aren't that high like how do I objectively like if someone, if, if if a fan from another team or or just anyone asks asks me or says, "Hey, Chris Tanev isn't that good, or he's overrated," you, you like tell I, I want to be able you tell to. You're totally wrong. Here are the numbers. Yes, exactly. And so, just by virtue of that, um, I started diving deeper and deeper into the how and why. And that's uh, again kind of how I uh, ended up, you know, forming and and, and sort of developing my first sort of takes and articles. Mm. So as I've mentioned, you know, a few times before in this interview, your nickname is the boy genius. Now, what I want to know is when was the first time you remember seeing the name boy genius attached to yourself? And what was your initial reaction? 
I think it was, I had written an article, my first with the athletic, um, I think it was last September. So September, 2018, that would be, mm. um, and it was on Jake Britannon and I used, I think it was zone entry data, um, to show that Britannon was one of the league's better players at entering the offensive zone with possession but that he was also rarely able to make a play, make a pass uh, upon entering the zone. And then I dove into the video of this is why he's struggling to make plays once he gains, gains line. And this is what he needs to do to improve in this area. And this is how he's going to unlock his offensive potential. Mm-hmm. And after that article, I think it was a couple days later that um that i think bought or, or maybe maybe it was even a, a couple weeks later but um jason botchford of course um and up up to that point we talked a little bit um but i that was that was one of my you know first interactions with him was after that article but anyway oh, he, that's that's cool yeah yeah and then, and then he had one of uh his first athletes and um he sort of included it as a note of like hey check this out and that's the first time I saw it. And I, I didn't know it was coming by any stretch of the mm. imagination. Um, and just to hear it from, from a legend like him was, it, it was pretty surreal. I mean, anytime you're in the athletes period was really special or, or the probies back in the day. Um, and then to have just kind of like a whole section um, where, where he kind of raved about me. That was, that was, that was pretty incredible. I, uh, I definitely went to bed that uh, bed that night smiling a lot mm-hmm. so let's if, if you if you if you would like to let, let's talk about your relationship i guess a bit with jason botford now you had probably like i assume just a very very close relationship with jason botford relative to, you know just someone like me who i had interacted with him on twitter and i've of course been a fan of his work for for quite a few years but i wasn't you know bouncing back off ideas for articles or anything of a sort like just if you if you can just describe like the, your relationship with Jason Botchford no oh, it was phenomenal he was so instrumental um to where I am today I'm, I'm definitely not um able to a, able to write full-time um or, or with the platform that I have um if it wasn't for for the support and guidance that he had on the way I mean for starters all that he did I mean I talked earlier about him being someone who amplified my voice um, you saw it all over, whether it was in his athletics, the Pat cast on, on TSN 1040, where he might reference one of my articles. He was always, or, or, or on Twitter, of course, that was the biggest one. He would always be gassing me up and, um, and, those and tires, exactly. Yeah. And like, I got, and I got so many, um, like I got so much feedback from people where it was like, Hey, like, and I never knew that. I never knew of your work before. Like, I'm so thankful Botch like introduced me to this. And, and, and so that was, you would get messages like that. Yeah. And, and even like replies on, on, on some of my tweets from, from time to time. And then, um, you know, after that, the, the biggest thing was just that he always took, I I think the biggest, the, the best way to sort of describe how he was to, to sort of, bounce ideas off of and work with was that he always had a lot of time for you. He, he, you, you could always access him. You could always talk to him. Um, we would go back and forth in the DMS every day. Um, and, and 
And even something simple, like, for instance, the first practice I covered, he set that all up. Like, he, he told me, I think he messaged me um, in January, so literally, like, around a year ago. And and he said, like, hey, you've been doing, you know, you, you I, at that point, I'd been freelancing a few, uh, a couple articles a month. And, and he said, well, why don't you get some exposure? Why don't you you know, come out to the rink one of these days. And Bosch never went to UBC practices, but that first practice, he came out there with me, introduced me to some of the players, Travis Green, and, and yeah, basically set up my entire first experience and interaction at a, at a rink. Um, and okay. so he was just an incredible mentor. And I, I really can't say uh, enough good things about, about, um, uh, about what he meant to not only me, but so many other writers who he helped um guide along the way and and i'll just be forever forever grateful for for what he did yeah absolutely r.i.p jason botford absolute absolute legend now do you uh do you, like your friends and family call you boy genius or is that just a strictly like canucks universe like nickname <laughs> that's actually funny i think um i think a couple of my friends have seen it just on social media um from from time to time, so they just a little jokingly like, you know, uh, chirp me about it, like like you know if I mess something up, just in, just as a group or or oh, say something dumb. Oh, here comes the boy genius again, fucking it up. Yeah, literally. So, uh, but other than that, no, it's um, it's it's very it's it's usually a, a strictly Canucks uh, Twitter type thing. Okay, you're not using it on your Tinder profile, just boy genius in the bio? Absolutely not. Oh, come on. Absolutely I, I, not. Dude, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be all on that. I would be just just your your Twitter, your Twitter pick, boy genius. That's all you need. That's all you need. You've got you've got the clout. I think you could pull it off. No chance. Oh, no. Okay. No. Well, we'll, we'll next time we next time I have you on. By the way, by by saying that you have to come on the next time I ask you. You're you're on you're okay. on you're on record. I'm gonna ask yeah. you. I'm gonna ask you if if it worked, and I need to see some some visual evidence. No chance. Oh come no. on, come on. Uh, all right, you're you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're you're a tough cookie to crack. I'll say that. So my final kind of general question before we get to the specific Canuck stuff, because I'm sure you got a lot brewing in the old uh, in the old noggin when it comes to you know the Canucks. But what's a new stat? What's a new like stat that maybe even someone who's sort of into analytics like myself, like I, I, I read all, I read all your articles and I do appreciate the way you try to dumb it down for people like me, so to say, but what's like a new type of like analytic or stat that maybe isn't getting maybe widespread coverage, but it's going to be, you know, changing the way we think about hockey in the future. I think the biggest one, and it's been out there for a couple of years, but the biggest problem has just been accessibility is, um, microstats as a whole, so zone exits, zone entries, um, zone entry defense, as far as how well. So all this uh, stuff as far is kind of well. like private as of now. It, there's no like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so and theoretically, so, like, teams like who like have all this information, they just don't share it. Yeah, and so what what happens is you'll have companies like Sport Logic is the best one, best example where where they track all all of those events, and and they have contracts. I think with almost all if not the entire league in providing that in providing that data um, and so for us on the public sphere we don't really have um, a lot of access to it other than for instance like I might hand track like I, I hand tracked um, some games last year um, well not literally I, I, by hand 
it's um that sounds very uh, time consuming yeah it, it definitely is it'll take you about like three hours oh per game God. and so it's like you're logging every like every play out of the zone every like turnover every um entry into the offensive zone every pass that leads to a shot attempt um every zone entry against it, it's a lot it definitely is um and so even this year for instance like i've fallen a little bit behind um but that's one of those pro- projects where hopefully i'm going to use the bye week to, to catch up a little bit but that's uh, I, I think microstats will really help to it, it'll help identify specific strengths of a player um like for instance um, if you talk about, you know, like I'll, I'll give you the best example, Chris Tanev, for instance. Oh, you just you just love Chris Tanev, huh? He's your boy. And he's just he's just one of those those guys who back in the day I spent a lot of time <laughs> writing about, and um and one of the best things and one of the the first findings that you could see in the limited public sample was that he why a part of why he succeeds so well defensively is because he's almost always forcing. Uh, opposition puck carriers to dump the puck in, and that's one of those things where if if the other team has to dump the puck in, well then you have a better chance of retrieving it and breaking out. And and and, and that's just one example of like you could pick out specific parts of the game where a player is really good. Or for instance, um, like I mean he hasn't been great this season, but in, in years past, Jordy Ben has secretly been someone who who kind of moves the puck out pretty well for a depth defensive defenseman. So that would show the zone exit numbers. And so I think when you, when you have a lot of things like, okay, shot attempt differential, scoring chances, that tells you the how or like the what's happening when the one on the ice, that'll tell you, okay, like Hughes, whenever Hughes is on the ice, the Canucks are dominating. And then you can look into the microstats as far as, you know, zone exits, zone entries, and that'll specifically tell you the why. Like, why is he driving play so well? So I think microstats will be really uh, one of those things where even the casual fan will start to be able to pick up on it because it's it's really intuitive. Like, it's not anything fancy. And, um, and yeah, I think when, 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 when the player and puck tracking – it finally comes around. It sounds like they're going to try it for the playoffs. I'm, I'm not exactly too sure. But whenever a lot of that data slowly starts rolling out, and I'm not sure to exactly what extent that'll be, but when that happens, I think that's one, that's one area where um, it'll be a lot easier to, to quantify specific areas of, uh, of a player's game. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. that. That should be interesting just to see like all those like zone entries and zone exits that like available to the public. I think that'd be, that'd be pretty cool yep. for someone who's analytically inclined, maybe not to the extent as you, but I do, I do somewhat like Joel joking aside. I do somewhat like appreciate it now. Just, sorry. One final like general question. So I'm a big basketball fan and there's a sense like around basketball that analytics has pretty much like figured out basketball, right? Like over the yep. past few years, like it's the, the strat, like it feels like it, basketball's been perfected and figured out. Like I honestly think, they should move back the three-point line like a couple of feet. And I remember like going on Twitter uh, recently and seeing like one of those heat maps. I'm well. What am I, what am I trying to explain? Heat. You know exactly what like a fucking heat map is. Like you're the boy genius. But there's like a heat map and it's just threes and layups. That's literally like the most the two most popular shots in the NBA. Like yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we're talking about the same one. But what and how long do you, until you think you know? 
hockey and the NHL reaches a similar point where, you know, analytics have helped, you know, figure out the game, if that's even possible? I don't think it's quite possible in hockey because in basketball you have defined, very defined possessions. Yeah. And hockey is a lot more of a of a scrambly game. I think one area where you'll see, and you've all, and we've already seen it uh, to some extent, um, is special teams. That's where I think it there's a little bit more of a structure where teams have uh, a power play and uh, and PK formations. And and one thing that you're seeing now is the idea of like a power kill, penalty kills that are purposely really aggressive. And you have teams like Carolina and Columbus that are that are starting to implement that into their PK strategy. And, mm-hmm. and power play, for instance, I think one trend that you'll see, and, and it's began to some, to some extent in the KHL, is, is having man advantages run from behind the net. Like having, like, you know, a 1-3-1 formation is, is what every team, or virtually every team around the league seems to use right now. But um, one, and, and we actually saw it for, for parts of last year is, the idea of having kind of two players behind the net, kind of playing catch, one guy in the middle, um, and then and well, I mean, you can have whatever structure you want around it, but sort of focusing on trying to work the puck behind the net and creating plays there. And, and sort of the theory behind that is that passes that originate from behind the net mm-hmm. tend to lead to a, a high shooting percentage, oh, and okay. and the reason is because the defenders, everyone has to turn their their body to look behind and and what will happen is the players in front of the net in the slot in by the face-off circles like it's tough to keep track for a defender of both sides and and what happens is is that's part of the reason you end up with a little bit more of a of a time of time and space because everyone has their back to the play and so that's one of those things where it's like you could see that type of tactical shift over time, it wouldn't surprise me. But as far as even strength play is concerned, I'm not sure that there's going to be a ton. I think one one trend that we saw was, um, I think from from 2013 to the last few years, there was a pretty incremental um, rise in, in 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 the sort of the emphasis teams are putting on trying to enter the offensive zone with possession of puck because uh, a lot of the original research had indicated that it's better a better strategy than dumping. Um, and so that's, I mean, I think what you'll see are small changes, but nothing nearly as drastic as uh, what we've seen in the NBA, for instance. Oh, okay, so it's just it's too fluid. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so okay, let's, let's go on to like a more Canuck-centric you know, line of questions. Now, do okay, just answer me this straight up. Are the Canucks front office into analytics? Like, I don't know if you follow football, but David Gellman, the new uh, the GM of the New York Giants, said he's hiring a bunch of computer folk. Do the Canucks have a bunch of computer folk? They do. They it's uh, it's headlined by uh, Jonathan Wall, who is the director of uh, hockey operations. They have an extremely smart and, and talented young mind and uh, Aiden Fox, and they, and they of course I'm not sure how. Uh, uh, how involved he is on the analytics side as opposed to video, but obviously Ryan Beach just got hired, um, so they definitely have resources invested into analytics. Now I can't tell you how how much that factors into their decision making, um, and certainly they have made decisions in the past that certainly wouldn't suggest 
that they've been analytically inclined. Is Tyler but, Myers um, an analytic darling, so to say? Yeah, like he, he I think the, the thing is, he's not exactly like he's not terrible analytically. It's just the argument was that he's a number four or five defenseman, and you're paying him top pair money. And so, like mm-hmm. his underlying numbers this year are fine; they're they're pretty decent. But it's just he's not worth the contract. And um, and and you can talk about Jay Beagle, or or of course the the most infamous one would be Eric Francis. So I'm not sure how much it factors into their final decision making. But it's I mean I mean one thing you can say with certainty is that they have invested resources in, into that set of things. Okay, so. Let's uh you you mentioned Jake for Tannen like one of your first articles was or the article that kind of botched kind of first mentioned was Jake for Tannen now he's on a bit of a hot streak right now playing on the top line here's my question to you would you trade Erica Branson oh sorry Jake for Tannen just because it seems like this is the best he's ever played with the Canucks or would you keep him which is my personal opinion just because I think you know if you trade him now he does the classic power forward thing of you know peaks when he's 25 or you know figures it out when he's 24 25 i think a lot of canucks fans are going to regret that so that's just to simple it trade or keep jake Rutan. that's uh yeah that's a really good question i think the there is merit to the idea well i, I think two things are, are true here one is that he has legitimately improved you can see that he's taking the time to sort of get his head up and um and take the and hang on to the puck for an extra second uh when making uh, a decision to try and maintain possession and you can see that improvement in in his passing and his distribution um and he's improved as an offensive driver for sure now the other thing that you have to consider is that he has been aided by luck Right, so I think it's one of those things where he's improved, but he's also been a little bit lucky. And by that I mean, for one, he's riding a a fourteen percent shooting clip. That's not going to last. Like last, I sort of broke it down. He Vertanen had the same shooting percentage as David Pasternak's career clip. You're you're saying Um, he's not a good goal scorer as David Pasternak? Yes, I am. Um, and then the other sort of indicator was um, essentially there's this statistic called individual points percentage where it looks at how many goals you've been on the ice for okay. um, and and it's divided by or sort of sorry you you take the the number of points the player has and uh, divide it by the number of goals they've been on the ice for and when you divide that I think like last I checked he had gotten a point on on all but one of the even strength goals that he's been on the ice for, for an IPP of like 95% or something ridiculous like that. Um, whereas the for, forwards, they average around 72%. And that's one of those things where I remember breaking it down. No player in the NHL has ever sustained an IPP above 90%. It's, it's one of those things where that's another indicator that he has been aided by some luck. Um, so you have to balance those things out yeah. and I think at the end of the day it depends on and it's and it sounds like a cop-out answer but it really isn't because I legitimately don't know what the trade market right now would be for for Tannen I, I just don't know what he would like what what would he fetch right like are our teams buying into the idea that he's put it all together because for me and, and part of it will depend maybe 
he'll become a power play fixture for for the foreseeable future, and that'll offset you know the the, the sort of luck that he's that he's been aided with at, at five on five. But I see more of a uh, of a thirty to forty point guy than I do a, a long term. You know, I think he's scoring at a forty seven or forty eight point clip right now. Mm-hmm. Like beyond this season, I think I'd be surprised if if he surpassed say forty five points. Or, or even, or, or even eclipsed forty, for that matter, uh, beyond this season. And so there is some merit to the idea of, of maybe this is a commodity that you could sort of look to sell high on. But I mean, I, like last I'd heard, the offers weren't great for for Jake. And if that's the case right now, I don't, the I don't know. Genius if insider, I like it. I mean, it's not really one of those those <laughs> insidery type things. It's it seems like a pretty common theme. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, look at, uh, for instance, the the rumor that came out in the summer about uh, the Canucks trying to package Vertanen and uh, and Tana for for Jason Zucker, who the Minnesota Wild have been trying to move for a long time. And so it just kind of goes to show you that in the summer and, and leading up, he probably didn't hold a lot of trade value. And I don't know how much that's changed. So. I lean towards keeping him just because I don't think he he holds a lot of value on the trade market. Um, but again, if if a team's willing to like if a team gets really desperate, like Boston for instance, they're, for instance, they're dying for right shot wingers. It's sort of, I mean, long story short, it depends on what what you might be able to fetch for a guy like that, and 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 that's why I'm kind of stuck in the middle where um, I lean towards keeping him right now, but uh, it's definitely not, not an easy decision. So, do the analytics take into account the amount of Cactus Club appetizers Jake Vertanen's crushing? Because if so, you should—I think you should be—I think it should be a lot higher than what what you're saying. Sorry, what was that? Does do they take into account that all the Cactus Club appetizers? I'm sure Jake Vertanen is crushing because he's a big—he's a big Cactus Club guy. Do the analytics take into account at Cactus Club at all? Cactus Club? Yeah, Cactus Club. That... Oh, right. Yeah, no, the, I've, the chain, uh, the chain might restaurant. be Earl's nowadays, actually. Might oh, be Earl's. Oh, okay. Switch to Earl's. Well, no, I, I don't. I don't see the appeal of Earl's. Like Earl's to me is like a low rent Cactus Club. Like if I'm if I'm an NHL player, give me Cactus all day. I agree, but I've also <laughs> spotted. Uh, I've all. He's all. He he definitely. Honestly, he strikes me as a guy. I mean, I I I saw him at Earl's like two weeks ago. Okay, did you see that? Um, no, okay. no. So you're not I, I was, on a first name he, basis with any of the Canucks at this point. Sorry, you're not on a first name basis with any of them outside the outside the Rogers Arena. No, it's just one of those things where, like, he was like I was with friends, but the main thing is like he had sort of like uh, a bunch of like I think it was friends or, around okay, he's him and the table. Yeah, he had an entourage, and like and like fans were coming up to like ask him for photos and like. Um, like it was just one of those, and and his table was far away, and I'm just like, screw it, like there's no point. I'm gonna see him at like practice uh, the next day. Like, oh, okay. I know. thought I thought you were gone up and try and get some big exclusive scoop. No, 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 no. I uh, I actually mentioned it to him after I think it was the game. Like when did they last? Oh, against San Jose. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it to him then. I was like, hey, I think I saw you at Earl's, and he's like, oh yeah, that must have been me. Okay, so okay, first game okay, we gotta sorry we're we're taking an entire detour. We gotta dig into this a bit more. How many people are in his crew, and which one was like the E? Which one was the turtle? 
Could you spot those guys out? Um, I think there were two, three, four. There were five people, in, or five or six people, including Jake. Okay. What what kind of what kind of adult beverage is Jake? Is he is he, a, he strikes me as a beer guy. Not that I'm trying to shame anyone, a hockey a hockey player for you know having a bit of fun. I'm just curious. Uh, honestly, I didn't even look that closely to see what it was. Um, and honestly, I, I wouldn't have even noticed it because um, originally one of the one of the people that was sitting at his table had a Vertanen jersey, and so I was like, when we walked in, I kind of noticed he's, that. He's hanging like, out with people wearing his jersey. Yeah, it seems strange. <laughs> I know exactly, and so I never even like I never even bothered. You know what? You know what? Maybe that, we're, we're speculating. Maybe it was a charity thing. Maybe he was like a some sort of charity thing. No, I don't think so. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Okay, no, I I see what you mean. We'll go. We'll move on to the next question. So I read your most recent article for the Athletic. It's talking about how Quinn Hughes is better than Rasmus Dahlin so far in their careers. Correct? That's the general. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what my question to you is: Would you like to apologize to Kyle Bowen because he's been on the Quinn Hughes hype train since even David Quadrelli? He's been on the Quinn Hughes hype train since literally the first game of the season. He said it's the best Canucks defenseman of all time. Hey, I think you gotta actually check out one of my September pieces. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So one so, of my features. <laughs> I think there were there so were a beat, lot of you people. beat even Kyle to it. So you're the original. People, you're the original Quinn. No, Houston. I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't call myself that. I think a lot of people are on the bandwagon before he'd even stepped on the um, ice to start this season. Just after after the five game cameo, and uh, no, I, I I think it was yeah. I, I looked it up right now. October first. Where I had this big feature on on how nuts he was, and um, I think I, I definitely mentioned. I think it was maybe um, yeah in 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 the concluding sort of paragraph described him as uh, the type of dynamic game breaking offense defenseman that Vancouver hasn't seen in this fifty year franchise history. Okay, maybe maybe I've got this all wrong. Maybe Kyle stole his take from you. No, not at all. A lot of people hey, have a take. Hey, you know what? You don't know what Kyle's capable of. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sure Kyle is uh, is a smart man, and oh, and know. and I believe I believe that he came to that opinion on on his own. I I do believe that, and and it's I think you're overestimating those... Kyle Bowen here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so okay, so my follow up to like the article when I was reading it was just thinking to myself, if you're Buffalo. Do you still take Rasmus Dahlin first overall? Or you mentioned Andre Svechikov. We obviously, you know, had that insane, like, uh, lacrosse goal, the Michigan goal or whatever you want to call it. He's been having a really good, you know, career so far. Quinn is obviously amazing. Do you still take Rasmus Dahlin first overall or do you go for maybe one of these other two guys? Uh, I think I think if I were Buffalo, I would still take Rasmus Dahlin. Now, let's sort of contextualize things. The, the opinion that I had on, on my article at, at The Athletic and I sort of broke it down was that so far, and that's the key word, so far, okay. Quinn Hughes has been better than Rasmus Dallin. And the reason for that is because... So Quinn Hughes is Hughes, better than Rasmus Dallin now and in the future. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's one of those things where I had to keep mentioning it like every few paragraphs to sort of like, and, and to sort of have to word it in different ways was the idea I, of. I, I, I see, I see the game plan. You got to cover your bases a bit. Yeah, because like it's like, and I said it right in the, I said it right in the article. I bet on Dal, Dalene being 
the better player long term. But, you know, with those caveats aside, Hughes has been better so far. And the reason is because he's playing a bigger role. He's playing more minutes. Since December, Hughes has logged an average of 23 minutes per game. Dowling's just over 19. He Hughes is obviously playing on that um, shutdown pair with Chris Tanev. He's overtaken Edler in those responsibilities. While Dowling plays in a sheltered role, um, he's produced more points, and he's the superior five-on-five play driver when you look at um, how he tilts the ice in Vancouver's favor um, in, in driving shots and, and scoring chances and, and helping the team outshoot and outchance their opponents. So um, by virtually every objective me- uh, measure, whether it's this more simpler stuff like ice time and points or the more analytically inclined uh, underlying data, Hughes has been better so far. And you know what? That's not a knock on Dallian by any stretch of the imagination because at 18 years old, he scored 44 points, the second most of, of any 18-year-old NHL defenseman. That's, he, he absolutely whoa, 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 still whoa, has generational potential. I thought potential. you said points don't matter as a defenseman. I, I never said points don't matter. Oh, I okay. said they were overrated. Oh, okay. okay. Points definitely matter. They're just not the be-all, end-all. Okay. You know what I mean? It's yes. it's like it's the same thing with the Hughes versus Makar debate. And I don't want to open up that can of worms right now, but this is why Thomas Drance is getting a lot of flack is he's saying, look, Makar has the edge in, in, in the points department, but by by virtually every other way you want to evaluate a defenseman, Hughes has been better. Okay. And that's one of those that, that's things. That's all you where, need yes, to say. Points. I'm officially an analytics guy over points guy. If you're telling me that analytics <laughs> make Quinn Hughes better than Kale I'm I'm sold. Sign me up. <laughs> no, and like that's the point where it's like, yes, points matter. They absolutely do. They're especially they're they're huge for forwards, obviously. And they matter for defensemen. It's just not like people try and use it as this like in baseball, like this war stat where it's like this is the only thing yeah, that like matters. Yeah, an all-encompassing stat. Like that, that's yeah, it's that not matters, an all-encompassing yeah. stat is the point. And um, and yeah, so yeah, Rasmus Dallin, great in his rookie season. He's had a rocky sophomore sophomore year. Um, I still think based on his pedigree and based on what he accomplished in Sweden as a 16-year-old defenseman playing in the in the Swedish Elite League, that, and, and especially considering his six foot three frame, I think he has a higher upside. I think he has the potential to be the best NHL defenseman um, but in his prime and, and reach a level that Hughes might not be able to. But right now, yes, Hughes is, has played better than, than Dowling. That's a hill I will die on. Oh, okay. All right. I, I like this. Hot takes only on power of the towel. Now, let's. Uh, I guess the, the final question before we, uh, before we let you go is, who do you think has been the Canucks MVP so far this season, excluding Jacob Markstrom, because I think everyone would say Jacob Markstrom. Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think, well, I think for starters, the the three kind of finalists would definitely include Pedersen, JT Miller, and um, and Hughes. Um, so my my definition of MVP is kind of if you remove if you remove the player from from that team whose loss is is going to kill the Canucks the most. And, mm-hmm. and it's the same argument I, I, I sort of use when talking about the Hart Trophy. And, and so when it comes to MVP, aside from Jacob Markstrom, I think it has to be Elias Pettersson because 
I think if you look at, you know, JT Miller's been phenomenal, but playing on the wing, he is someone who, you know, I just think Pedersen as a center, you take him off like last year. The power play for the longest time had like a plus three differential when Pedersen wasn't on the ice. That included the entire second unit. They barely outscored the opposition on the power play. Oh, that's when Pedersen wasn't on the ice last year. And obviously some of that would have improved this year with uh, the improved talent of the roster. But that's just one example. We saw it last year where, where the team just couldn't produce offense at, uh, on the power play at even strength when Pedersen was on the, was uh, out of the lineup. And, 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 and if he's out, well, then, okay, Bo Horvath can slide in as your 1C. But then is Adam Goddard really your second-line center? Is Jay Beagle your, your third-line center now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess hypothetically Miller could slide over to the to, to the center ice position, um, but I guess the point is I'm, ma- I'm trying to make is when you consider Pedersen's improved two way impact, what he can do offensively at even strength and the power play. He's just the and, and I hate using this this hockey cliche, the straw that stirs the drink, calm the engine, well whatever it is. To me, Elias oh, Pedersen. This is an official cliche network, so feel free to use those cliches, <laughs> man. I like them. Is he, a yeah, real, is he a real pro's pro as well? First one in, last oh, one definitely. out? Oh, 100%. That's what 100%. I like to hear. So, yeah, I think, I think he would be my, uh, my MVP, uh, MVP pick so far. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a pretty good pick. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast, Harmon. And uh, hopefully next time when you have you on, I can get an update on the – I know you're not a Tinder guy. Maybe you're a Bumble guy. You know, maybe you're, you know, you respect women and you want them the message first. But I think, I think, I think the whole, just put your Twitter, just put boy genius, your Twitter, Abby, you're sold. Who, who, who can't, who will say no to that? I'm definitely, I I cannot try that. I will not. I refuse. Oh, come on. What happens if we, happens if we slide some money under the table? We'll, we'll get, we'll pay you, we'll pay you 50 bucks. No, I don't, I don't Kyle Bowen's you can't bribe me into this. Oh, okay, well, all right. Well, you, and you I better not see a fake account. I, I better not see a fake account. <laughs> see, this is why you're the boy genius. You, 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 you figured out my game plan right after. Oh <laughs> man. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. No worries, man. Anytime. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, thanks to Harmon Dial of The Athletic for hopping on the podcast. Let's get back into it with our segments. First one, Orca Reactions. This is bad. This is very, very bad. Orca Reactions, where we discuss who, what people are overreacting to in regards to the Vancouver Canucks. This, year, this week, it's Ole Levy. now. Technically, I guess it's a Utica Comet or overreaction, but so... Oli Uevi had a has had a pretty good stretch on the in the uh, AHL, but I just don't call me call me you know a doubter, but I just don't see 
Ole ever, ever, you know, living up to his draft status or making an being a big impact player in the NHL. Just because I just don't think he's one of those players you see in sports where, you know, his body just fails him. Like, I mean, he's on a good stretch now. I think he has 12 points his last 14 games or something of the extent. But it, it very easily could happen where Ole Yevi suffers another injury, unfortunately, and then he's back to square one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. 13 points in his last 12 games. So I'm just tearing up the AHL. But he's had like a ton of injuries so early in his career. Pretty serious injuries. Like back, back. Like that's pretty. It's a pretty important part of your body. Is is the back. You got It's got to be pretty healthy if you want to be you know high level athlete. But Ole Yevi, I just, I just. I didn't and like I'm not I haven't been hating on him since day one. I didn't mind the pick at the time. The Canucks needed like didn't have any good defensemen in their system, and he was he looked pretty good in junior. But the problem is he just hasn't been able to stay healthy, and that's you know partly that's not really any of his fault. You know that happens to to high level athletes just can't stay healthy for whatever reason. But I would pump the brakes on Olivi just a bit. Good to see that he's having success in the HL, but I need to see him you know dominate over you know. A full season and healthy, not just 12 games. Our final segment, you know it, I know it, I personally love it. It's called Way to Go, Jimmy. I'm ahead of them. Way to Go, Jimmy, where we chronicle one Jim Matheson of the Edmonton Journal. This week, Jim had an interesting tweet about the Pacific Division, the Canucks Division, the Pacific Division. Now, here's what he said. If I hear one more Eastern writer say the Pacific is the worst division in NHL, I'm going to throw up. There's five teams in the top 18. There's five teams with at least 55 points. Nobody in their division has 27 points. Uh, I just love how like he's gonna he's gonna physically throw up if he sees one more Eastern right those darn Eastern writers. Oh my god, I'm just picturing like Jim Matheson like he sees like James Myrtle like right of the vision out of the Pacific and he just starts like gagging like he <laughs> starts like physically gagging like in his in his office. My god, but let, let's be real, folks. The Pacific Division is kind of. It is probably the worst division in the NHL in the sense that it doesn't really have any high-end teams. Like, look, the Central has Colorado and St. Louis, two really good teams, defending, one of them the Fenley Cup champs. The Atlantic has obviously the Boston Bruins who are tearing up. The Metropolitan has Washington. Sure, they have 27 points, but they still have like a bunch of other... Sorry, that's the Atlantic that has... That has Detroit, but the Metropolitan still got a bunch of good teams. It's got obviously Washington, Pittsburgh, Carolina. The Islanders are still, you know, surprising people. But I mean, let's be real, folks. The Pacific Division is probably the worst division in the NHL in the sense it doesn't have any elite teams. It may have the parity, and it may be ridiculous that five teams are within a point of each other and four of them still are exactly 57 points. But no team, the fact that no team has run away with this division so far. Screams to me, it's not the best division in the NHL. Anyways, thanks for listening this week. Thanks to Harmon Dial for coming on. He didn't have to, but he did. And I thank him a lot for that. Once again, 
I am Nick Bondi for Nux Misconduct and SB Nation. Don't forget to subscribe to the network at Nux Misconduct wherever you get your podcast. You get four different shows. You get this one. You get Silky and Filthy. You get Sipping on a 40. And you also get the Quickie. It's coming back very soon. Don't forget to follow myself on Twitter at Nick Bondi. Don't forget to follow the Twitter account for the page at Power of the Towel. Once again, I am your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you very much for listening.